This episode of Overthinking Movies contains some spoilers for Hocus Pocus and no spoilers for Hocus Pocus 2. Welcome back to Overthinking Movies. I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hain, and today we are kicking off the Halloween season by taking a look at a movie that has become a yearly tradition for many. So much so that Disney has finally decided to give it a sequel. 1993's Hocus Pocus, a movie that many have forgotten for originally being released in theaters because it found the majority of its success rerunning on Disney Channel. This, too, is how I originally saw it at about seven or eight, and at that age, I really enjoyed it. It made me laugh and at times terrified me. So, as I now approach 30 and a sequel was announced, I was interested, though very cautiously so, because it meant I had to go back and re-watch the original Hocus Pocus and see how it's aged. Now, before I get into it, I should preface. On overthinking movies, nostalgia has very little value. Movies are reviewed from a critical perspective, based on story, characters, entertainment value, and how well these elements have held up in a modern context. In other words, the fact that I liked Hocus Pocus as a kid is irrelevant to the review. But before that, the arbitrary plot synopsis for those unfamiliar. Hocus Pocus begins 300 years in the past, in Salem, Massachusetts, where three witches, Winifred, Sarah, and Mary, all sisters, kidnap a little girl to suck away her life force to give themselves eternal youth. However, her brother Thackeray Binks intervenes in an attempt to save her, but fails, and is transformed into an immortal black cat while watching his sister die. Yet, not long after this, the witches are caught by the townsfolk and sentenced to hang. But then, before their deaths, Winifred casts a curse that will allow them to be resurrected on a full moon on Halloween night if the black flame candle is lit by a virgin. What a highly specific and convoluted series of events, which would need an equally highly specific and convoluted series of events to actually happen. But thankfully, a group of bumbling preteens are up to the challenge. So, before we go any further, just to get that lingering question out of the way, does Hocus Pocus hold up? The answer is... sort of? It's a very, very flawed movie. A number of elements just do not work. Yet the things that do work in this movie are very strong. Hocus Pocus does a fantastic job capturing the feel of the Halloween atmosphere. Bette Midler's performance as the head witch Winifred Sander is mesmerizing. She's like an over-the-top aristocrat who is a witch and loves being a witch and loves being evil. Like all the best Disney villains, she delights in her evil. Also, the comedy definitely hits more than it doesn't, and it adds charm to the characters. And what of our characters? We focus plenty on our villains, but who are we supposed to root for? Well, as you might imagine, the movie skips to modern times, and we focus on a boy named Max. And you've heard this story before. Max is a boy who just moved into a new town and is resentful because he misses his old town. He has a feisty younger sister and a girl that he has a crush on and he's awkward around her. And he has bullies and he plays an instrument like he's an aspiring rock star. But what makes Max distinct is that he's also very whiny and very pathetic. 
like, aside from two moments of agency, Max spends the majority of the movie being intimidated and giving in to people at the slightest bit of resistance. It's not even like this is building him up to a character arc of him learning to stand up for himself. He just, like, has a couple random moments in the movie where he suddenly just does something witty or brave without any consistency. It falls instead to his little sister Danny, his crush Allison, and Thackeray Binks, still an immortal black cat, to pick up the slack which they do so with enthusiasm. Danny is a teasing, fun-loving, smart-aleck little girl who isn't afraid to talk back to people condescending to her. And Allison is a born native to Salem. So she is able to use her knowledge of the history and the environment of Salem to fight the witches. I can at least give Max credit that he does make some attempts to stand up for his little sister, but it always ends with him either giving in to whoever is putting pressure on him or being beaten up. And funny enough, the beatings don't actually come from the bullies, they come from the witches. The bullies in this movie are the most unintimidating and laughable bullies I have ever seen in a movie. And the only reason they're able to push Max around is because he is just that much of a coward. So the main character is a bust, and that's a pretty big flaw for a movie to have. The supporting cast does very comfortably carry the movie. Not just the girls and the witches, mind you. Honestly, all the smaller parts, even the cameos throughout the movie, from the bus driver to the man cooking lobsters to the husband and wife, the witch's mistake for Satan and Medusa, who are actually filmmakers Gary and Penny Marshall in a cameo role, they all have great comedic timing, good chemistry with the witches, and just add a lot more charm to the movie. You may have noticed, though, that I've talked about Bette Midler as the head witch, but not really Kathy Najimy or Sarah Jessica Parker as the other sister witches. And that's because I don't really like their presence in this movie. Kathy is just doing an impression of Curly from the Three Stooges, which which uh, feels like an odd choice for a witch character. I guess because Winifred slaps them around like Moe. I mean, it's not a bad impression either. It just leads to her performance being kind of just off-putting. But man, Sarah Jessica Parker, I have no idea what to make of her acting in this movie. Sometimes she speaks like a smurf. Sometimes she speaks in a more casual voice. And other times she's just kind of floating around in the background doing stuff. The only character element that stays consistent is that she's the sexy one who draws the attention of the male characters. So that's something... I guess, but Bed Midler is in a whole other class compared to either of them. Her climax being, of course, in the movie's big musical number, a cover of the classic Screaming Jay Hawkins song, I've Got a Spell on You. This is the scene that everyone remembers when they talk about this movie, and for good reason. Not only is it a well-made and very memorable cover of a great song, but from a story perspective, it works on multiple levels. Right before the witches are hung by the townspeople, they actually sing for a bit to set up that they can enchant people with their singing, which is then paid off here. And Winifred not only uses the song to discredit the kids to the adults to make it seem like Max is crazy for saying the witches are evil, but to give a solid explanation for why none of the adults are able to help the kids throughout the rest of the movie. And on top of all that, the performers on the stage were actually playing I've Got a Spell on You before the witches go on the stage, so it's not just like Winifred just pulled the song from out of nowhere. 
It's one of the only scenes in the movie where everything just comes together and shows and shows all of the strengths of the movie just working at their peak. It's just a shame that the first third of the movie where the focus is on the child characters without the witches is such a slog to get through. And then there's also all that stuff about Max being a virgin and the characters making fun of him for being a virgin, which just feels way off with what you think a Disney movie would have. This is, this is all to say that Hocus Pocus is not as mediocre as film critics at the time made it out to be, but it's also not as great as nostalgic audiences build it up as. It's alright. There's fun to be had, but it's not something I would personally make a yearly tradition out of. But I'm not in the majority, and it's because of its huge cult following that we have the reason I made this episode for. Hocus Pocus 2. When I first read the announcement for this, I was pretty skeptical, because at the end of the original Hocus Pocus, the witches explode. There's nothing left of them. Thackeray Binks turns back from cat to human, he reunites with his sister, there's not much left open for a sequel. But I can say I was also intrigued, because on the other hand, Hocus Pocus 2 has the opportunity to weed out all the problems with the first movie and craft a stronger follow-up. To begin, Hocus Pocus 2 does something many sequels that have nothing to build from do. They just make up a bunch of stuff. We are given another flashback into Winifred and her sisters as children being antagonized by the villagers for their rude and sacrilegious conduct. This is all to set up new goals and plot devices for the witches and also to paint them in a slightly more sympathetic light. Yet, the whole time I was watching this scene, the elephant in the room for me was, wait, so the witches just don't have any parents? Where are their parents? Do they, do they just not have any? But the movie doesn't seem willing to answer this question at all. Instead, it just kind of uses this time to establish that the people of Salem are superstitious and accusatory, especially the mayor. But despite the fact that they mistreat the witches, they outbalance this by showing the witches are evil and they burn down the town. We also learn that the witches were given their spell book by another witch who warned them of a forbidden spell in the book that will make them super powerful. That, for some reason, they just... I guess didn't happen to mention in the first movie. Despite the arbitrariness of this whole setup, and believe me, this is far from the last arbitrary thing that happens in the movie, the actors chosen to play the child versions of the witches do a really good job capturing their voices and mannerisms. In fact, all of the main child actors in Hocus Pocus 2 are far superior to their counterparts in the original movie. When they switch to modern day, our new protagonists, this time around, are two high school girls named Becca and Izzy. And they're both quite likable and believable characters. They're actually almost too believable. They act so much like real people that they feel out of place next to the witches who, well act and look like characters from an over-the-top 90s movie. Now, does that mean Winifred has lost any of her charm? Not at all. Bette Midler seems glad to be back, and I even found Kathy Najimy and Sarah Jessica Parker much more likable this time around, with their performances turned down a few notches to take away some of that obnoxious, sugary energy they had in the first movie. And just like the first movie, we have plenty of scenes of the witches in fish-out-of-water situations in an attempt to recapture some nostalgia of those scenes in the original movie. But most of the time, it works, and it's pleasant and charming, and sometimes it feels like what it is. That these scenes are only happening because it happened in the original movie. 
Now, thankfully, Hocus Pocus 2 isn't as overloaded with references to nostalgia of the first movie like many other sequels to nostalgic movies, which is good because it needs to have something to make it different. Otherwise, it just makes you wonder why you're not watching the first movie instead. However, in an effort to be similar but different, it creates a diminishing effect. For example, just like the first movie, there are musical numbers, but they're surprisingly both underwhelming. One is actually an original song, but most of the lyrics are just, the witches are back, and it ends up feeling lazy, repetitive, and forgettable. Then later in the movie, the witches are on a stage once again to do their big musical number this time around, which is a cover of Blondie's One Way or Another. It does, again, have narrative context, because the witches are using the song to enchant a crowd of people to search for the children. So, you know, they're singing, we're gonna find ya, we're gonna get ya, get ya, get ya, get ya, while they're looking for the kids. It's clever. It's fun. Bette Midler does a very nice job singing it once again. But the scene is so short. And there's no real context for why the witches know this song like there was in the original movie. They just kind of pull it out of nowhere. It's still one of the best scenes in Hocus Pocus 2. It's just definitely not on the same level as I've Got a Spell on You. <sighs> yeah, I know. I'm kind of just sounding like a broken record at this point. It's that classic sequel problem that just permeates the whole movie. Despite the fact that Hocus Pocus 2 is technically and acting-wise superior to the original Hocus Pocus on so many levels, it just wasn't as emotionally evocative for me as the first movie. For all of Hocus Pocus's deep flaws, and in some ways because of them, I was simply more engaged when I was watching it. The child characters in Hocus Pocus 2 are more believable, and are much less generic characters, but... <sighs> The goofy, over-the-top, kind of clunky performances of Max and Danny and Allison and Binks the Cat, they just stayed with me a lot longer. Max may be an annoying, wimpy, bumbling protagonist, but I can speak more about my distaste for him than I can honestly remember any of the personality traits of the girls from the new movie. That all said, though, I'd much rather watch Hocus Pocus 2 again than Thor Love and Thunder at least there were elements in Hocus Pocus 2 I had fun with. Thor was just boring and annoying. Hocus Pocus 2 has some heart in it, especially at the end when the witches are going away. You can tell that there's a bit of emotion behind this movie. And it's also not setting up for a sequel either. It ends on a conclusive note. If you're somebody who likes Hocus Pocus, uh, well, you've probably already watched Hocus Pocus 2 anyway. But I would say I recommend Hocus Pocus 2, just not to an extreme degree. And I think that'll be it for this episode of Overthinking Movies. If you have suggestions for movies you'd like me to cover on this podcast, or just have like general feedback, you can send that to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies, you can go to goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, or wchx1055.com, and click on the podcast tab at the top. You can also find Overthinking Movies on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much any app you can find podcasts on. And if you can find Overthinking Movies on your podcast app, let me know. Look forward to more Halloween episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks. I really want to make up for the lack of episodes in September. And also because I am a big Halloween and horror fan, so I have a lot I want to cover. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>